Alliance of Women Filmmakers, this is Visionary Voices, behind-the-scenes conversations with groundbreaking women and non-binary filmmakers from around the world. I'm Diana Means. Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening today. We have director and cinematographer Maura Simpson, otherwise known as Mo, talking about her documentary film, The Least We Can Do, an official documentary selection in the Los Angeles Women's International Film Festival. On August 3rd, 2014, ISIS extremists began a campaign of genocide against the Yazidi people, a religious minority in northern Iraq. The Least We Can Do follows a small group of women in British Columbia who are relieved when the Canadian government votes to bring the Yazidi women and girls to Canada and then horrified to later discover that the government has not followed through. Here is a brief clip. They said to the Yazidi, come to Canada. They said, we will help you with housing and with trauma resources. And then they did come to Canada, but they were just kind of forgotten. In a situation where women have been tortured, um, raped and raped and raped multiple times, I think it's, to be honest, I think it's the least we can do. The least we can do is do what we promised we would do. How do you do a successful petition about this, this you know, the Yazidi trauma care, what's going on? would be like that if you are being persecuted that you are well for being who you are if we stop fighting for each other we lose our humanity i don't have to be a yazidi to fight for yazidis what i really would love is to make this genocide the very last one the very very last one Please, if you can, in your heart, consider this as your sister, as your aunt, as your mother um, being sold for into sex, uh, sex slavery in the uh, Islamic State Network. Welcome to the show. 
Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I love your festival. Thank you. And tell us a bit about your extensive work as a freelance director and cinematographer and how you found yourself working on this documentary. Well, I've been a documentary filmmaker for probably over 40 years, just as you said, a director, cinematographer, but also as an editor. I think being a cinematographer has always been my bliss. And most of my films are to do with social justice issues. And most of them feature women who are change makers. And in terms of this film, uh, I'm going to go back in time a little and tell you my inspiration for the film. In August of 2014, we learned about the brutal genocide by ISIS extremists against the Yazidi. And learning about the Yazidi genocide was absolutely devastating. They murdered the men and enslaved the women and girls and selling them in ISIS markets to be tortured and then raped. My friends and I, we wrote letters asking the Canadian government to bring Yazidi women and girls to Canada as refugees and to provide them with comprehensive trauma care. And we were all so relieved when the Canadian government did vote to bring them to Canada and provide them with effective trauma care for their unimaginable suffering. But we were horrified to later discover that the government had not followed through on its promises. They were brought to Canada and then profoundly neglected. So we formed a group and called ourselves the Women Refugees Advocacy Project, or RAP. And we decided to create a petition urging the federal government to keep their initial promise. And at this point, I asked to film our group meetings. Maybe I would create a short video for our app website. But at this point, I was not thinking about making a documentary at all. But then we approached Reverend Majed El Shafi, and he's the founder of One Free World International, based in Toronto, to speak about the Yazidi survivors now living in Canada. And we'd read a lot about his activism in the news. And as we talked with Majed, he offered to bring to Vancouver. Adiba and her nieces, a Yazidi family of refugee survivors. Majed and Adiba, they were just so open and willing to step forward. And it was at this point the project changed and I realized I was making a film. And that was my inspiration and how I started. Now, the group that you formed, again, you called them, did you say RAP? RAP, Women Refugees Advocacy Project. Yeah, that's right. That's very inspiring. Can you tell us a little bit about your challenges in making the film and how you overcame those with your group? Yes. Well, filming was a challenge because I was a member of RAP and the Women Refugees Advocacy Project, as well as being the filmmaker. And I sometimes kept going back and forth in my head with that. Since I had never planned on making a film, I hadn't had time to visualize what the film might become. It just evolved. And that sometimes was challenging for me. I hadn't preconceived a structure or anything. Certainly a major challenge while editing was finding and financing all the graphics, newspaper articles, photos, news quotes through Reuters, which is the international news agency, and Wikimedia, free content. And the group in RAP, they were so helpful in telling the story as they helped me find these, which were essential for our film. 
And a number of us spent days and days searching for the images that were in, in the film. What was really important was that I always had the support of the rat women and they became producers of the film and they worked with me. And it was deeply important to me to show this small group of women trying so hard to reduce the suffering of the Yazidi women and girls. And they are a major through line of the film. Of course, it would have been helpful to have had more funding for the film. Do you want to talk a little bit about your funding process and how you raised money once you realized that you were making a film? Well, the, the budget for making The Least We Can Do was extremely grassroots. I didn't get paid and neither did any of our group. To raise money for expenses, we participated in a walkathon and our group, RAP, held a wonderful Joni Mitchell sing-along fundraiser. And of course, this was before the pandemic or we couldn't sing. And we also received some funds from a credit union and a foundation. But there were many, many generous individual donors. But as director, cinematographer, location sound recordist, as well as the editor, I had all the gear we needed. And through the money that we raised, we received enough for a music composer, a sound designer, colorist, and sound mixer. And each of them gave us a reduced rate. And we're just so grateful how supportive everyone was. Now, I understand that the Yazidi women are now free from ISIS, but I'm sure the trauma remains with them. Do you know how they are doing today and do they have resources to deal with the trauma that they experienced? That's a good question because many of them are still back in Iraq in their heads. That's very true. And Canada promised comprehensive trauma care and has never come through. And say Adiba, as an example, she she's doing well, but she's been working with One Free World International. And she actually went back to Mount Sinjar, where the Yazidi are in northern Iraq, and for several months stayed there and helped. But many of them who are in Canada have been neglected and they're still suffering from what happened to them. I think that people don't realize how devastating it is for what's happened to them to adapt to living in a country like Canada. And I mean, they don't speak the language. It's hard to find places to live. They need to have extensive counseling. And that isn't happening, though. We don't know very many of the Yazidi who come since the last genocide. There have actually been 74 genocides in Mount Sinjar for the Yazidi people. And we've been meeting and and know some of the women who came from previous genocides, and they're doing very well. But once from the last genocide, we're not sure how a number of them are doing. I mean, we're just hoping that they're getting help. We did encounter and connect a number of women's groups across the country, and they are jumping in and helping, but the government per se isn't helping. You spoke about an organization called One Free World International. Can you tell us a little bit more about that organization and how you came to partner with them? Well, one of the women in rap, she read about them. I think it was Barbara Schumann, who's in the film. And she talked to Anna Lee, who works with Al Shafi, and just found out that he was in northern Iraq, and he was helping the Yazidi, and we contacted them, and we 
ended up collaborating with them. And El Shafi is featured in the film and he suffered severe trauma in Egypt and he was in Afghanistan and now El Shafi is in, in the Ukraine. And so he helps people throughout the world. It's his reason for living. He talks about in the film. That's why he's here. And we were so fortunate to meet him. And then he came to Vancouver and we held a number of events with him around the Yazidi people, along with Adiba. Now, I've been reading a bit about your work with the National Film Board of Canada. Do you do most of your work with the National Film Board? And can you talk a little bit about that organization and collaboration? Well, the National Film Board is Canada's public producer and distributor. And it usually collaborates with directors with documentaries or animated films. And over the decades, I've worked in a number of National Film Board films. And I feel I've been very fortunate, both as a cinematographer on a number of films, as well as a director. And I haven't worked with the National Film Board lately because I've been working on other projects and we're still actually working with the Yazidi. But they're a very important organization for funding and for collaborating with in Canada. I love the National Film Board. And is there anything else that you would like to share with us about your film? I mean, we're just hoping that people will see the Yazidi and also understand more about the plight of refugees when they come to Canada and have greater compassion and understand what they need. In terms of the film, as I said, it was extraordinarily grassroots, and it was just done improvisationally. But people are giving us feedback on it, that they are grateful that they understand more the situation of the Yazidi. And they're also inspired that a group of women came together and became activists around the Yazidi in, in Sinjar. I mean, it was very important to me to, that that be in the film. And it's a group that includes a doctor and filmmaker and a woman who's worked with a number of refugees and just a really diverse group that we formed RAP. And it's been a gift in my life. Now, most films can be a powerful tool to help create change. Is there any film in particular that you've worked on over the span of your career that you feel really created change? Yeah, I, I've, it's been an honor to work on so many films that hopefully have been helpful. A film I worked on quite recently was The Thinking Garden, and I was the cinematographer and the location sound recordist and also the editor. It was directed by Christine Welsh, and we filmed it in Africa and South Africa and three generations of older women in a South African village. They came together in the dying days of apartheid to create a community garden. And it was filmed against the backdrop of an epic drought, as well as AIDS, telling the inspiring story of South African women sowing the seeds of change. Another film that was really important to me, again directed by Christine Welsh, and it was a National Film Board film, was we did it in 2006. And... It was an epic journey into the dark heart of Indigenous women's experience in Canada. And we filmed it for two years, and it presents the ultimate message that stopping the violence 
is everyone's responsibility. Another important film to me was done in 2002, and it was in Kosovo. It's called Kosovo Fragile Peace. And I was the director and the writer and the cinematographer and location sound. And in the heart of war-ravaged Kosovo, an international mission was struggling to bring democracy to a land torn apart by bloodshed. And there, Canadian human rights lawyer, the amazing Carolyn McCool, works to build bridges between the Kosovo Albanians and Serbs, while her 20-year-old daughter Katie traveled with a musical roadshow to generate grassroots support for election among the youth. And I thought this was an important film. Going way back to 1998, I'm going to talk a little bit about Marker of Change, the story of the Women's Monument. And I was director and the co-cinematographer. And it's about the creation of a national women's monument in Vancouver, remembering all women who have been murdered and naming the 14 women murdered in the Montreal Massacre, which took place in 19. 89 at Nicole Polytechnique, and they were murdered because they were women. And it was something loving and something permanent, and it had a profound effect on me working on this film. So those are a few films that I've worked on over, over the decades. And what is next for your group, Rap? Are you continuing to work on other projects, other activism? Well, the Women Refugees Advocacy Project, we recently held a fundraiser with filmmaker Brishke Ahmad for a new project in support of Afghan women refugees in Canada. And of course, they had to flee when the Taliban seized control of Afghanistan last year. And this initiative, we're helping them, but it doesn't involve making a documentary. And so I've been collaborating with Ralph on that. And that's what we've been doing lately. I mean, all of the members of RAP are also involved in their own projects. And we came together very closely through making the film, but for doing the petition and for doing a campaign of education around the Yazidi. That's why we formed. So, like, we don't have an office or anything. But we still meet and talk regularly and we're submitting to festivals the film. And it's been in about 16 festivals, which we're pleased about. So more people are learning about the Yazidi, but we're not working on like a big project right now. Well, Mo, thank you so much for your time today. The Least We Can Do screens Sunday, March 27th at 11.30 a.m. in the Los Angeles Women's International Virtual Presentation. For more information about the festival and a complete lineup, please visit LAWomensFest.com Visionary Voices is produced by Diana Means with editing from Otaku Media. Visionary Voices is a production of Alliance of Women Filmmakers and made possible in part by a grant from the Department of Cultural Affairs. Our website Visionary Voices Podcast.com. Visionary Voices.